This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Postal Service's Inspector General, its regulator, and members of Congress are sounding alarms over plans to increase mail prices and slow the delivery of first-class mail. But the strongest rejection of these plans are happening inside the Postal Service itself. President Joe Biden's picks to serve on the agency's Board of Governors say the expected cost savings do not justify the risks of going ahead with this plan. For more on where things go now, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman joins me. And Jory, just recap for us what have the other postal so-called stakeholders have had to say about these cuts, proposed cuts in service. To say the least, it has been a tough crowd in terms of reviewing this plan USPS Inspector General Tammy Whitcomb told senators last month that this 10-year reform plan that we're hearing so much about may not actually save as much money as the agency as the agency expects. And in fact, the IG office is asking for a pretty big plus up in money just to study some of these changes. And just as a caveat is saying that these large network changes are easier said than done. They're pretty complex in nature and that there's a pretty good risk that implementing these things and all these moving pieces could result in regional or widespread service issues. That's the inspector general. The Postal Regulatory Commission has warned that this plan to slow first-class mail and first-class packages wouldn't wouldn't result in much improvement at all to its finances and would actually hurt its reputation with customers. And some members of that commission even advised the Postal Service going back to the drawing board with this plan. Nonetheless, the Postal Service is free to move forward with these changes. Congress, for its part, has told the Postal Service to hold off on increasing prices until January 2022, just acknowledging that with this pandemic, a lot of their constituents are hurting pretty badly for you know money, and that goes for small businesses as well. And what about Postmaster Louis DeJoy? He keeps on defending this. What's he saying these days? He acknowledged that this plan introduces some uncomfortable changes in his words and that it has attracted some scrutiny from the public. But he says, you know, looking back on his tenure at the agency, that the Postal Service can't continue with the status quo. And he said that what the agency has done in the past hasn't worked. The majority of the roar is to stop what we are doing, study more, increase service, keep prices low, cut employee benefits and host other single interest issues disguised as solutions, which they are not. In fact, the best days of this thinking and what it has to offer has come and gone and has created a postal service that I joined 14 months ago, one that whose existence as we know it is threatened. And that's Louis DeJoy, the Postmaster General. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. And Jory, what about the new members of the Board of Governors? Because they have a lot of influence on what happens too, don't they? They do have a say in this, and it's interesting because... Previously, in an interview that I had done with DeJoy, anticipating that new members were going to come onto this board, he said, you know, they have a say in this, but he expected a lot of consensus, saying that this plan had a lot of common ground issues. We have not heard that quite in, in, in such that language from these new members, such as former Deputy Postmaster General Ron Stroman, one of President Joe Biden's three appointees to this board, he came out swinging at this most recent Board of Governors meeting and saying that this plan was strategically ill-conceived, creates dangerous risks that are not justified by a relatively low financial return, are his words just describing this and really coming down hard on this plan, saying that 
the basis of it is really a non-starter for him. Does anybody have anything good to say about it? Well, there there was something positive to say here. We did hear from another one of Biden's picks for the board, former American Postal Workers Union General Counsel Anton Hijar. And he did say that there is a lot that he likes in the 10-year plan. That includes converting more USPS employees to career status, as well as investments in things, including a new fleet of delivery vehicles and equipment at processing plants. He's really kind of liking those proposals, and he says that the current management attitude is a lot different than when he was working for the union, and back then he said it was the plan was cut, 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 and this is, as he sees it, an investment in the workforce. But however, Hajar was reserving his judgment on some elements of the plan based on what he was waiting to hear back from the Postal Regulatory Commission. And once he saw that strongly worded advisory opinion on these service changes, he said between that and the public's opinion on this plan, he said that he's really concerned about that element of the 10-year plan. I've been told that eliminating inefficiencies associated with air transportation will result in additional cost savings, but I haven't seen that quantified or at least the calculations have escaped my notice or understanding. So I ask why this change needs to be implemented now. Why not wait until management implements the impressively innovative changes in the DFA plan and see what can be achieved? And that is Anton Hajar, one of the new members on the USPS Board of Governors. All right, so now then, what will USPS do? Are they simply going to proceed with their plan, given all this feedback, or are they going to reconsider any of it? That is exactly what they're going to do. They, Despite this mounting wave of criticism, they are going to keep on trucking with both of these proposals. The plan to later this month increase the prices for its mail products, what that's really going to mean for most people is the price of a first-class stamp is going up to $0.58, cents and... You know, they're going to go ahead with this plan to slow nearly 40 percent of first class mail. And, you know, what's interesting is we did hear from board chairman Ron Bloom, himself a Democrat, and he was saying that perhaps sensing that there is going to be some dissent amongst the members said that there's always going to be some dissent amongst board members. And that's kind of the price of doing business here. While we do not and will not always agree on the important issues that the Postal Service face. I know that each of us has the best interest of the Postal Service and the American people at heart. So that is Ron Bloom, the chairman of the Board of Governors, and really putting a bow on what has been a, a really contentious meeting of this board and previews what's going to be coming down the pipeline here. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? 
Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. <laughs> Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything, and it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, 
uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.